owed that for all of my, my work during the year. Um, but God is faithful, God is good, and God uses and touches clay pots. Um, it's my pleasure this morning, if I can get the next slide, to talk about one of our missions trips, um, and that is Team Uganda. There are four of us that are going to be traveling um, to Uganda, some of us for um, second and third and even um, fourth time. Um, the uh, four people who are going are my wife, Eileen, um, our daughter, Carly, um, Brooke Vincent, um, and myself. If I can get the next slide. Um, we're going to be traveling to um, near the capital of Uganda, Kampala, and we're going to be staying and working at um, primarily two schools, though uh, one of the things you find out about Uganda very quickly is nothing is predictable. Uh, we could end up <laughs> pretty much any place. There's all kinds of strange things happening. The plan right now is to work at two schools, um, Bethel Covenant College um, and Bethel Junior School, which are um, near each other um, outside of Kampala. If I get the next slide, um, our goal this year is to continue um, a work we began last year, setting up a uh, computer network and computer lab for the school um, there. I'm hoping this year to spend a little bit less time on technical stuff. We are adding some more laptops, um, another system, updating the server, and doing some other things, adding some content for them. My goal this time is to try to spend more time with the staff, one-on-one, -on -one groups, um, training them, finding out what their needs are, things of that nature coming alongside to help them with technology um, as much um, as possible. If I get the next slide, uh, one of the things I found out last year, I was absolutely amazed uh, at how useful the technology was to them. We went last year thinking, oh, to the computers, um, and finding out they have, they have no library at school, very few students have textbooks. This computer lab has been really a, a, a great help to them. Um, for example, yesterday I was loading up software and laptops and starting to get excited, I was able to load one Bible study program, about eight different Bible translations, a Bible encyclopedia, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. There's boxes, there normally be boxes full of stuff, um, but they're now going to this very small little package um, for these kids to use um, for their Bible study, along with all kinds of other things, encyclopedias and other things that they'll be able to use. If I get the next slide, one of our other goals in Uganda is one of the, the, the watchwords is. Um, is flexibility because ministry opportunities are all over the place. Uh, you never really get comfortable there. Um, you're sitting in a meeting and all of a sudden the microphone is handed to you and you find out, oh, you're answering the question or, or, or you're giving a few words or somebody calls late at night and you're preaching tomorrow and all kinds of interesting things happen um, while you're there. It's very different than, um, than I'm used to in our culture here where everything seems to be planned and orderly and um, things of that nature. Uh, if I get the next slide, some things you can pray for, um, spiritual preparation, um, getting ready. Um, for me, I need to get ready for the spontaneous. So what that means is being, being ready to be spontaneous, so thinking through some things to share while I'm there. Um, the other members of the group will be working with um, students, um, doing Bible studies. Um, there's lots of opportunities for counseling. Um, lots of the kids there have had difficult times um, that uh, they need counsel for. Um, also, there's still technical things to be done. I'm very busy right now putting that together. Um, we always need prayer for the transportation needs, making sure everything gets packaged and uh, everything needs to the uh, weight requirements, all those kinds of great um, details. If the airlines require the favor when you're over a few ounces or a few pounds or whatever um, as we try to take things over there. Uh, we are also still in need of financial help as members of our team raise their support. So we can be in prayer 
on for that. And one last thing, if I can hit the last slide, we do have a fair card we put together um, for the trip. If you would like one of these fair cards, I think you still have some in the back, and you can grab those on the way out. But we very much covet your prayers. I know if you get ready, and if you're there from um, July 11th to July 30th. Okay. Um, next, I want to introduce to you our um, associate pastor, um, Carlos Limpianco. If you guys are visiting for the first time or you've only been here a few times, I just want you to, to know that I'm just one of the little dogs up here. Um, the big dog is away. Pastor Milton Vincent will be here Lord really next week to um, share with you his word. But as it is, it's God wanting to speak to you this morning through me. Please pray that I don't trip over the stuff behind me. There's a good chance that everything's going to just fall over backwards. Because I like to move around. And like if I can't move around, I feel very confined and I can't speak. So I'm going to pray that the uh, Lord would help me. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord together as we pray and seek to give birth to this baby. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we give you thanks, we give you praise, and we remember, Lord, the fact that you died for us. And Lord, as we take some time this morning to focus in on the topic that is at hand, we know that part of your intention for us to remember once again what you have done. Father God, I do pray that you would give me clarity of mind. I pray, Father, that you would use me as an instrument of your blessing in the lives of your people so that ultimately what they would hear would not be me, but that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would arrest all of our attention. I pray for everyone, Lord, including the children. I ask, Lord, for the children that you would give them much grace and help them to bear with me and help them to pay attention and help them to gain from what it is that I am about to share as we focus our attention this morning on the Lord's Supper. Father God, we give this time to you, again, asking that you would make us um, just aware of your presence, cause us to know that you are here with us, and cause us to know that you are pleased to speak through your word as it is proclaimed. And I pray again that you would help me in the proclamation of your word to my brothers and sisters for your glory and for our good. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A number of years ago, um, I have this memory. A number of years ago, I um, was attending the master's college, working on a degree in biblical counseling. And sad to say, I'm still working on that degree in biblical counseling, needing to finish it. But nevertheless, that's a different story. Um, during one part of the program, I had to be away for a couple of weeks, like two whole weeks away from my wife and away from my son. At the time, it was just Marcy and Andrew. And I believe Andrew was maybe two and a half years old or two years old at the time. Just a little guy, just a little toddler toddling around. And, um, you know, just having to go to this two-week class and being away from my family for such an extended period of time, honestly, I wasn't looking forward to it. I wasn't looking forward to it. But, you know, once I got there, it was very encouraging. The teaching was outstanding, and I was being ministered to, and God speaking to my heart and healing me in some ways and sanctifying me and just causing me to grow as a result of the instruction there. But every night, needless to say, I was faithful 
to call my wife and my son Andrew. I wanted to speak to them every day and oftentimes in the course of the day I would think about them, longing to speak with them, longing to talk with them. Well, my son as well and my wife no doubt longed to hear my voice and they longed to hear me speak to them throughout the course of their day. Well, finally, the day came after a couple of weeks of being away in which I was driving home. And there's this moment of anticipation that is about to arrive. And I couldn't wait to see my wife and my son. And I will never forget, as, as I walked through the front door of my home, my wife obviously was there to warmly greet me, and we were happy to see each other, and, and there were some smiles and whatnot. And it just felt like a relief just to be with my family once again. And then as, as after she hugged me, I proceeded to the hallway of our house, and I was standing there at one end. And there from one end of the hallway, I looked all the way down at the other end of the hallway, and there was my little two-year-old boy just standing there, this little guy looking up at me. And he got all excited, and he comes, he just, you know, just yelling and screaming, comes running to me. And it was as if time was standing still at the moment. It's like this, you know. Just, just running to me, and I'm seeing him, and I'm getting excited, and I'm ready to bear down and give him a big hug. This is my little boy, and this is my daddy. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, about four feet from my feet, he just stopped. He just stopped. It got real quiet, and he's looking up at me, and I could tell that his countenance was about to totally change. And he just began to cry, just uncontrollably as he saw me. Just this, this emotion overwhelmed him. Uh, during that moment at which he understood just how much he had missed me. You know, he was longing to see Daddy. He was looking forward to seeing Daddy. And, and obvious, I was looking forward to seeing him. You know, likewise, we should long to be at the place where we know our Father's presence will be. We should long to be at the place where the Father wants to make himself known to us. We have learned over the weeks that his special presence is to be experienced uh, within the context of the gathering together of God's people. As we gather together, even now, God is wanting to make his special presence sensed. He's wanting to make his presence known to us. And, and, and so, you know, in the illustration with my son and me, he longed to be with me. You know, he's wanting to be with me. And likewise, we should be the same way. But there's another point there that I wanted to communicate. It wasn't just that the son was longing to see his father. Not that Andrew was longing to see me, but I too looked forward to seeing my boy. And, you know, our father in heaven... He longs for us to be at the place where he can bestow upon us his special presence and his special blessings. There's a sense in which the heart of God is, is such that God in his heart, he wants our presence as well. It's not just a one-way street. There's a reciprocal thing going on here in which God longs to be with us and we ought to reciprocate that desire to be with God. And so we have learned that God makes his special presence um, felt. He wants to manifest a special presence in the context of the church. And over the last few weeks, we have looked specifically at the topic of worship. 
Pastor Mike did, Barry uh, did an outstanding job dealing with the topic of worship. I just want to add one quick thing to that. Even though he didn't focus on the singing part, he made reference to it. But just even in relationship to the singing part, listen to what the psalmist says, 22.3. Yet thou art holy, O thou who art enthroned. Obviously, he is speaking to God. And what does he say about God? He is enthroned. Now, notice the location in which he is enthroned. Thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. And so by way of extension, as we sing praises to God, God is pleased to make his presence felt. He is pleased to manifest his presence to us. As we sing our praises to him, he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. And so we dealt with the topic of worship and God's presence in worship. We also dealt with the topic of God's word and the preaching of the word specifically and how God wishes to make his presence experienced in the preaching of his word. God's word tells us that his word is living. It is alive and it is active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is life-giving. It is life-sustaining. God wants to use his preached word in our lives to impart life to us, to impart sanctification to us, and to cause us as a result to grow. And so we should, as we anticipate the preaching of the word, be there ready to hear not just the word of God, but the God of the word speaking to us through his word. Never forget a few years back at the Sovereign Grace Leadership Conference, uh, a group of us care group leaders had attended this conference and uh, Pastor Mike Bullmore preached a sermon and the sermon was entitled, The Functional Centrality of the Gospel. It was just right down our alley at the time and continues to be. The Functional Centrality of the Gospel. Just a wonderful, powerful message in which he was just preaching to us on the centrality of the gospel for ministry. And then afterwards, I was just like blown away. I was at the edge of my seat listening to the whole thing. I was like, man, this is so awesome. You just feel yourself being nourished as the word of God is being proclaimed. And I'll never forget looking to Pastor Milton after and I was eager to talk to him. I said, Pastor Milton, I said, so, so what do you think about that? And he looked at me with this dumb Cheshire cat grin on his face and he says, I think I just, it's, I think I just got saved. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, you know what, maybe you did. But anyway, you see, the power of the word of God as God's faithful proclaimers are, are, are preaching the word to the people of God and the people of God hearing it, and they're feeling themselves to be fed and to be nourished and to be strengthened. through That is what God wants to do through this uh, perhaps single most important hour of the week of your life as the word is being proclaimed and against the context of the gathering together of the people of God. And so again, we've learned about his presence in worship. We've learned about his presence in the spoken word. And this morning, I want us to consider the presence of God in communion. The presence of God in communion. Unfortunately, in my opinion, you can take it or leave it, but in my opinion anyway, um, a lot of believers fail to see the value of the Lord's Supper. You can see that practically demonstrated. You will go to some churches in which, in some churches, what they do with the Lord's Supper is they celebrate it maybe a couple times a year. Now, I'm not saying that that is wrong, 
But when you juxtapose that against the practice of the early church, the early church saw some value in the Lord's Supper, whereas in contemporary churches, it seems as if they don't quite see the value of the Lord's Supper. And so some churches, they do it you know, a couple times, maybe four times a year or whatever. There are some churches that don't do it all together. And I was speaking to my sister recently who goes to another church. It is a very good church. I would highly recommend it as a place to visit and even attend and become a member of. But she was telling me as I was talking to her about what I'm going to be preaching on, she was telling me there that at this church, again, a very good church, solid preaching and everything, she was telling me that she can't even remember having gone there for three straight years, very faithful, can't even remember doing communion. And then later on, she says, you know what? Yeah, I remember, I think one time we did communion. But that indicates to me a church that fails to value it. Some churches, they will choose to tack communion on to the very end of their service, almost as if it's a must-do sort of a thing. Let's, let, you know, let's attach it. And that's what we used to do. We here at Cornerstone years back used to attach communion to the end of the service. Not that we saw it as not important, but that does seem to indicate something about the value of communion in the context of what is going on in the church. And so now you will find when we celebrate communion, the first Sunday of every month, when we do the Lord's Supper, uh, the Lord's Supper is placed strategically within the context of our worshiping God together as we sing gospel songs to Him and celebrate Him together. And so that is a good thing in the history of this church, that the gospel has indeed become more central to our approach to things. I would like to confess to you that I, as I have thought about this topic, and as I have looked back over the history of my practice as it relates to the Lord's Supper, I have failed to value it in the way in which I am now believing God is wanting me to value the Lord's Supper. I mean, I valued it, but not anywhere close to the sort of value with which I should place upon it. The Lord's Supper um, is a very beautiful thing. It's an awesome, magnificent, glorious thing that the Lord Jesus Christ asks us to do for His glory and for our good. And I have just failed to see it for all of what it is. And what I would like to do this morning is I want to answer the question, why should we highly value the Lord's Supper in the times of our gathering? Why should we highly value the Lord's Supper in the times of our gathering together? And by the way, an encouraging thing about this, as I have already said, we now do the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of the month, but we do it within the context of the overall service in the, in the worship. But we do it every Sunday when you factor into into uh, the equation, the fact that in care groups, we do the Lord's Supper. So there's a sense in which those of you who are, who are actively, faithfully participating in the life body of this church, coming to Sunday celebration, going to care group, you are partaking of the bread and the cup on a weekly basis. And so uh, that's a good thing, I think, about this church, is that there's a real, there's a real desire to celebrate this uh, non-spoken gospel, if you will. So again, the question to answer, why should we highly value the Lord's Supper? Or why should we look forward to the Lord's Supper with great anticipation? Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I want to begin by reading an extended passage before I provide you with the answers to this question, some of the answers anyway. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. We will find many of the answers to the question contained within this passage. Verse 17, Paul has already addressed, I know, you know, head coverings. And now we are in verse 17. But in giving this instruction, and of course the this that he is referring to is the this that he is about to talk about, and he is about to talk about communion. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together, you come together, and notice what he says, not for the better. Implied is the fact that when they come together, they should be coming together for the good, and specifically when they come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper in the times of their gathering, the result of that should be good in their lives. But he says, you do not come together for the better. And to add insult to injury, he says, but for the worse. And then in verse 18, for, as he unpacks what it is that he began in 17, verse 18, for, in the first place, and incidentally, he does not even get into in the second place, in the third place, and in the fourth place later. He says, in the first place, and this is essentially the thing that he zeroes in on as he speaks to the Corinthians about their bad practice of the Lord's Supper. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear... I have heard, people have told me that divisions exist among you and in part I believe it for there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. What this is here is an indictment upon their coming together to have the Lord's Supper. They are coming together to have the Lord's Supper, and they have so perverted it to the point to where Paul is saying it is as if there's a sense in which you are really not doing the Lord's Supper because you have not approached it in a worthy manner. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. There are indicators of sin and selfishness and self-centeredness going on among the believers. And Paul is wanting to take issue with them concerning their sin. What? Verse 22. Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. And then Paul wonderfully goes on to remind them of the thing um, that they should be reminded of continuously, and that is the Lord's Supper. And Paul is wanting to, to explain to them some details as to what happened so that they could begin to get it right here. Verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim, you announce, you herald, you preach the Lord's death. You preach his death until the day in which he comes back. You preach his death until he comes, 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. A man must examine himself, okay? Um, pay attention to that. A man must examine himself. Uh, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge himself rightly. No, the body rightly. You see, part of what is going on here is examine yourself and you cannot examine yourself outside of the context of the body. And so as, in, as you examine yourself, you are automatically examining the body because it is within the context of the body that you may potentially need to get things right. Examine yourself. Discern the body. Judge the body rightly. Verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Ouch. God had visited them in discipline. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, to partake of the Lord's Supper, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining things... The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So of first importance, if you will, is the communion, which symbolizes the gospel message itself. And Paul is wanting to bring that to their attention because if he can get them straightened out there, he's going to cover a lot of bases in the process. So that's the text. Back to the question and the answers that I am providing for you this morning. Again, the question. Why should we highly value the Lord's Supper? Why should we look forward to the Lord's Supper with great anticipa anticipation? Number one, because our Lord commands us to participate in communion. Because our Lord commands us to participate in communion. Again, going back to the passage in verse 24, it says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this. Do this. What I am doing with you, you do. Do this in remembrance of me. And obviously the church picked up on that. And, and all the way up until the time of the Corinthian church, the church was practicing this. They were obeying the Lord. When he says do this, they did it. They were practicing communion. And then by way of extension, obviously, we are to continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper even until the day in which he returns. And then he is going to celebrate it with us. And by the way, Jesus looks forward to that day. So again, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this. Do this. So attention is being drawn to the fact that we are to do what the Lord did with them way back at the first Lord's Supper. And so the answer to the first question, or the answer, the first answer to the question, why... Should we um, value communion greatly in the times of our gathering together? It's because the Lord commanded us to do it. He said to do it. Now, he doesn't just tell us to do it just to do it, but there's a reason why he wants us to celebrate the Lord's Supper 
is because he knows it is good for you and for me. It is healthy. It is a healthy exercise. It is an exercise that he tells us to be engaged in because he knows, number two, that communion brings the gospel to our immediate attention. Communion is ordained, it is designed by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, as an ordinance that we are to practice so that we can have this unique opportunity to focus our attention on the gospel itself. Communion brings the gospel to our immediate attention. Now we know, anyone who has been here long enough, we've heard it a thousand times, but we'll hear it a thousand more times over the next week probably, that the gospel must be absolutely central to life and that the gospel itself is the power of God onto salvation. And for us as believers, if we deviate from the gospel, we deviate into error and heresy and major problems. And so we must maintain the gospel as being central to our life, central to our belief and practice. Everything needs to flow from the gospel. And Jesus knows that. That's why he gives us this Lord's Supper so that we can continuously be bringing the gospel before ourselves. And in a sense, preaching the gospel to ourselves as we partake of the elements during the Lord's Supper. You see, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his body for you. And he gave you a ceremony to remind you regularly of what he did for you and me. And so as we, as we eat of the bread and as we drink of the cup, as we do so, we must do so being informed by the gospel and the truths that are related to the gospel itself. As we partake of the elements, we are to remember that there was some 2,000 years ago on a hill far away, a blood-soaked splintery cross from which there was blood spilt to the ground. And there upon the cross, the Lamb of God was slain brutally slain with blood pouring from his body, from his hands and his feet. And he had nails pierced through his hands and nails pierced through his feet. And he was experiencing absolute physical agony beyond our ability to comprehend. We are to remember when we take of communion together that this bloody Jesus on the cross did that for one reason. And that is for the glory of God, two reasons, and for my good. He did that for me. He died for me. Why? Because I needed a substitute. I needed someone to take my place. Why? Because as I think about communion, I must be reminded of the fact that I am sinful and deserving of judgment. I am deserving of wrath. And outside of Christ, I am underneath the wrath of God. But through Christ and through his shed blood, I have been brought into a relationship with him. And all of the wrath of Almighty God, which should be poured out upon me and you directly, is poured out upon his Son, so that in him we have deliverance from the guilt and power of sin. In him we have salvation. In him we have hope. And when we celebrate communion, when we, when we uh, eat that bread, the broken body, and when we drink, of the cup, remembering the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, um, those things should have such a profound impact on us so that when we do this stuff together, it results in our good and our benefit. And so that we eat and we drink blessings into ourselves, blessings 
that God wants us. We need to remember there at the cross of what it is that we are in Christ. And I don't know about you, there are times in which on my way to church I've had a rough morning. Perhaps a little bit of tension between me and my wife or me and my kids. And occasionally there will be a time in which you know, I've had a rough morning and I come to church and it's the first Sunday of the month and we're celebrating communion. You know what communion does for me? It gets me to deal with my sin. It gets me to say, oh Lord, I've messed up. Forgive me. It gets me to remember that my sins have been atoned for. It gets me to remember the fact that all of my sin has been dealt with by Jesus at the cross. You know, and it doesn't have to be that I remember my sin for the more. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe communion forces me to remember some sin earlier in the week, in the month, even over the year. I am convinced that given the number of people here, there's got to be someone for whom the next time they approach communion, there are probably sins that they need to deal with that are sins that have been patterns of life for maybe a decade or more. And you know what communion does for you? It forces you to deal with that and to come to the cross and to experience there at the cross freedom, freedom from the guilt, freedom from the power, so that you can walk in the newness of life that is yours because of the cross. The cross reminds us of the fact that there is no condemnation, no condemnation for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. You may be burdened down with personal sin and you feel discouraged and you feel as if God has abandoned you. But based upon the authority of the word of God, I can say that there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ. There is no condemnation. We have been brought into the kingdom of the Most High God and we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and he has poured out his spirit into our hearts and we have a promise that the day will come in which we will see our Lord physically face to face. And so when we partake of communion together, we are preaching this gospel to ourselves. The broken body, the spilt blood, the cross. My place was taken by him. Physical sufferings. And just real quick, there's the spiritual suffering that he took for us. I am amazed when I begin to think about when Jesus was on the cross and some of his last words, for the first time ever in his life, he cannot say, Father, because he has my sin upon his back. And rather than refer to his father as father, he has to, in a sense, distance himself from the one who distanced himself from him, and he has to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we celebrate communion, these are the things that we remember. These are the things that should come to our mind. And we should be profoundly blessed as a result. So communion brings the gospel to our immediate attention. Number three. You see, it's not just that God wants the Lord's table and the gospel that it represents to be brought to our immediate attention. But he's also wanting to use us as we partake of the Lord's Supper to proclaim the gospel to others. This is an opportunity for you and I, without saying a word, to proclaim the gospel to our brothers and sisters. We get to proclaim the gospel. We get to say the very same things that we were saying in relation to ourselves. we get to say the same thing to our brothers and sisters. 
and partaken of the elements, I get to say without literally saying it, but in my actions, I am telling you that you are forgiven if you are in Christ. Because what does Paul say? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. When you do communion, you proclaim, you announce, you preach, you herald the gospel to your brothers and sisters. You are telling your brothers and sisters, you are forgiven. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb. You are a child of the Most High God. You are telling your brothers and sisters, your sins have been atoned for. The wrath has been appeased. You are underneath the favor of a loving Father who is committed to you and who will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't it awesome that he has given us this opportunity to proclaim the gospel to our brothers and sisters, even in a nonverbal way? What a blessing. As we proclaim the gospel in this nonverbal way, no doubt there will be non-believers there and they may get saved as a result of our communion times together. But we're proclaiming it, as I have said, to other believers. And this launches me to my next point, number four. Communion serves as a celebration of our unity in Christ. And let me go ahead and say the fifth one and kind of lump them together. So four Communion serves as a celebration of our unity in Christ. We are celebrating our unity in Christ when we do the Lord's Supper together. But then fifthly, communion serves as a preservation of our unity in Christ. We celebrate our unity and God wants to use the Lord's Supper in our lives to preserve, practically speaking, our unity in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. He is connecting the one bread to the fact that we are the one body. He's making that connection. We who are the many are one body. Yes, we are many. We are individuals. We are each our own person, but yet we are one body. And notice what he goes on to say. For we all partake of the one bread, a reference to communion. And he uses communion as an opportunity to remind us of the fact that we are one body. By God's grace and by his design and through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are one body, is what Paul is saying. And we do communion together. We are reminded of the fact that we are one body. We celebrate the fact that we are one body. Before I came to Christ in 1991, I had a family but it was a relatively small family compared to the family I now have because I have been brought into the kingdom of God and because I am part of the family of God. And I'm not just my own individual per se, but I am who I am in relation to my brothers and sisters and collectively we are one body and we are to celebrate our oneness as we gather together in communion. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ. 
as I eat of the bread, I, I am reminded that he died for me. He died for my brothers and sisters. I now have brothers and sisters. And in Jesus Christ, we are one. What a blessing. And that ought to be something that just stirs our excitement so that when we look forward to communion, we look forward with anticipation. And part of what we do, we celebrate our unity in Christ. But as I said, communion also serves as a preservation of our unity. It's one thing to say, you know, we're one in Christ. It's another thing to be one in Christ. And I believe that God has given to us this beautiful ordinance in order to practically preserve the unity. Think about what happens there with the Corinthians. What does Paul say? What does Paul say? You need to approach it in a worthy manner. Right? You need to, to check your heart, make sure it's right. Discern the body. Look at the body, not just yourself, but the body of Christ, the believers around you, and ask yourself, is there anything that I have done in relationship to my brothers and sisters in Christ for which I need to make reconciliation or restitution so that when I come to the Lord's table, I come in a worthy manner? Obviously, our God considers our relationships to one another as of vital importance. In fact, because some were approaching the table in an unworthy manner, what happened? They got blasted. They died. And would it be not that there would be people in our body who would die because we come to the table in an unworthy manner? If there is a relationship in your life in which you need to seek reconciliation, I would encourage you to do so before care group when you celebrate Lord's Supper, before next week when we celebrate it together as a, as a body in the celebration service, I would encourage you, if there is anything that you have between any other believer, to humble yourself before Almighty God and before that other man or woman or child and to seek forgiveness so that when you come to the table, you're able to come in a worthy manner. Perhaps you are a child a young child, and you have disrespected mommy or daddy, and God would say to you, get your act straight. He would say to you, go to your mommy and daddy. Go and tell them that you are sorry for your sins. Maybe you are a parent and you have sinned against your child. And God would say to you, go to your child and tell them. Tell them that you are sorry for the ways in which you have sinned against them. Tell them that you are sorry for the mean words. I am sorry for the way I, I hollered at you. I am sorry for the way I treated you. I'm sorry for being too rough with you. Or maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ in this church or in another church with whom you know you've burned a bridge and you are not entirely innocent. God would say to you, I want you to go to that person and I want you to seek reconciliation and if need be, restitution as well. Get yourself right so that the relationships you have with other believers are relationships so that when you come to the table and celebrate it's not just a theoretical unity you celebrate. It is a practical unity. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that our relationships with one another could be redeemed. And so when we think about the topic of the Lord's Supper and why we should be motivated to partake of it, why we should eagerly desire it, as I have already said, because it's commanded because it's an opportunity to preach the gospel to myself. It's an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to my brothers and sisters and even unsaved people who are around me. And it's a means that God wants to use in our lives in order, in order that we might celebrate unity and in order that we might experience, practically speaking, unity in Christ. And there's one other last and final answer to the question 
that I want to give to you. The Lord Jesus Christ is present during communion. He is present during communion. In the first service, I got into this big, long ordeal on the difference between transubstantiation and real presence. You know what? Forget about that. I don't have the time for it, and you probably don't either, and you may not even want to hear me speak about it. You'd rather hear Pastor Mike. He's our expert here on that topic. But suffice it to say that the Lord is present in communion. We're not talking about physical presence. We're not talking about, you know, he is in the bread and he is, you know, the bread becomes his body. No, Scripture tells us that Jesus himself continues to call the wine and the bread, wine and bread. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until I drink it with you in my kingdom. What is he calling it? Fruit of the vine. And what is he saying? Until I am with you physically present in my kingdom. And so is he physically present when we take the elements together? No, he's not. He is there spiritually. And his presence is a real presence spiritually. And as we partake of the elements, we literally do uh, eat judgment upon ourselves if we approach it in an unworthy manner, but we can uh, eat blessings upon ourselves if we approach it in a worthy manner. He definitely is present in our times of communion together. He is present in two ways, as I've already made reference to. He is present to discipline, and you can see that in the passage we read earlier. Present to some had died. Was the Lord there? Well, of course he was. He was actively involved in their coming to the end of their rope. And he was there present, and he saw and he observed that they were coming to the table in an unworthy manner. So he was obviously present to discipline. Did the people who come, did those people who, who, who had come to the Lord's table, uh, were they coming to him in total faith? Were they coming to him totally understanding what it is that they were doing? Were they coming to him with a heart totally surrendered to Almighty God? No, they weren't. Was, the God there, was, was Christ therefore not present when they partook of the elements? No. Regardless of whether I believe it or not, or what I think or what I feel, He is present in the times of our gathering, and especially in the times of our taking the communion. There is a special presence, no doubt that is there. He is there present to discipline as well as present to bless. Remember what Paul says. When you come together, it is not for the good. Obviously, the implication is that they are to come together for the good. And he lands into the communion. He lands into the Lord's Supper and he focuses on that. No doubt God intends the Lord's Supper to be used in our life as instruments of his blood. He wants us to be blessed through the communion. He wants us to be blessed. On one hand, their lives were shortened. Who knows? On another hand, perhaps maybe God would choose to extend to us life, if you will. You know, they're sick. On the other hand, quality of life, health. Because they, you know, because they're approaching the table in a worthy manner. God wants to bless. He wants his special presence to be experienced, that special presence to bless. He wants us to be cognitively aware of our great God, of our wonderful God. 
as we do communion together. Why should we eagerly anticipate the Lord's Supper during the times of our gathering? Number one, our Lord commands us to participate in communion. Number two, the Lord's Supper brings the gospel to our immediate attention. Number three, as it is brought to our immediate attention, it is also an opportunity for us to proclaim that gospel to our brothers and sisters and even the lost. It is an opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel. Number four, communion serves as a celebration, a celebration of our unity in Christ. And fifthly, it serves as a preservation of our unity in Christ. And then finally, as I have said, the Lord Jesus Christ is present spiritually in communion. And as I referred to before, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And the day will come in which he will be with us physically. And he will break the bread in our midst. And he will eat of his supper with us. But until then, he says, do this in memory of me. Even as you look forward to the day in which you get to do it with me in my kingdom. Communion is a beautiful ordinance. Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Eucharist, giving of thanks. Any of those titles are used in the Bible to speak of what I am talking about. Jesus instituted communion for God's glory and for our good. It is always appropriate for us to eagerly anticipate the times of our gathering. It is especially appropriate for us to eagerly anticipate those times when we gather in celebration of the Lord's Supper. Final thing I want to say. You know, there's times in which maybe I've worked hard all day, whether it's physical work or mental work or whatever. And some of those times I just, you know, you wouldn't know it, but I haven't eaten all day long. And I'm feeling kind of hungry, and it's, you know, maybe 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. I call, you know, honey, what's for dinner? And she'll say, oh, I made your favorite curry chicken. And you know what? I love curry chicken. I can get excited about that. Or, you know, or, or, or maybe I hear that I get an opportunity to eat fish and chips. Oh, I love fish and chips. I can get excited about that. I'm looking forward to the fish and chip meal. I'm looking forward to the curry chicken meal. But you know what? How much more should we get excited about the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, where we can come together and as we gather in community, we can partake of the, the, the body and of the blood, metaphorically speaking, of course, the bread and the wine. We eat these things and we drink the stuff and we, we bring blessings into ourselves. What, how much more should we anticipate that meal? Not that I've said it, but notice they did it in community. When you come together, when you come together, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, it is a community feast. And so I would encourage you as you anticipate it, to anticipate it with joy and excitement. Some of you have never had communion, and perhaps the reason is because you've never been baptized. 
And it would seem legitimate to be baptized in response to God's command as an outward expression of an inward change. But once having been baptized, eat and drink blessings into your soul. And I say that especially for the benefit of the little ones. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for the blessing of communion. We are reminded, we remember, we remember of who we were before and now who we are as a result after Christ. And God, we give to you glory and praise. We worship you. Lord, in reference to the cross, we say, thank you, Jesus. Once your enemies, now we are seated at your table. Thank you, Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Now God's people said. Yeah. Thank you, Carlos, for blessing us with the preaching of God's word. We have heard from the Lord this morning, and I hope that you've been challenged in your own estimation of the Lord's table. Obviously, anything that the Lord gives to us, it must be for our good, right? If we can eat and drink judgment to ourselves, we can eat and drink blessing to ourselves. And we are very, very thankful for this visual preaching of the gospel that we get to participate in. And we're thankful for Pastor Carlos and just laying out to us uh, the truths from 1 Corinthians 11 and 10. And, uh, you know, I just pray that uh, every one of us would have that attitude. What is your favorite meal? You think about what is your physical favorite meal. It's great to have a favorite meal. But spiritually, that, there should be a sense in which that really does well up within our hearts. My favorite meal? The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. And one of the things that's really cool I've been thinking about lately whenever I participate in the Lord's Supper is just how that Christ says, you know, I will not eat of the bread or the vine until I eat it together with you in the kingdom. And that while we are preaching the gospel to one another through the communion, uh, we're reminding ourselves that one day we're going to be physically in the presence of Christ again. And what a blessing that is. Here we are, that, you know, we're enemies by nature, right? But Christ has brought us in to be children. And one day we will actually share in that supper physically in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and just rejoice in the gospel, this table that we get invited to.